Welcome to the Just Ingredients Podcast. I'm Cara Lynn, and here we talk all things nourishing to the mind, body, and soul. This is a place where you can find just good ingredients to life. Kettle and Fire Bone Broths are one of the products that has a permanent place on my pantry shelf. As you know, I am a big fan of making food from scratch, and I love making food with bone broth as well. Caveat, assuming you can find high-quality grass-fed and finished bones. But if you're like me, you don't always have the time and or foresight to make your own bone broth from scratch. That is why I always have some Kettle and Fire on hand for when I want a quick, delicious, high-quality bone broth. Their broths are always made with organic veggies, herbs, and spices, and they only use grass-fed and finished beef bones and pasture-raised chicken bones. They never use anything artificial, no preservatives, no coloring, no flavorings, no junk ever. That is why I'm happy to be partnering with them for my podcast. They are a company that I can rely on to make high-integrity products. As a listener, you can save 25% off any of their products at kettleandfire.com. Just use code JUSTINGREDIENTS at checkout. That is kettleandfire.com, K-E-T-T-L-E-A-N-D-F-I-R-E.com. Dr. Barb is a licensed naturopathic doctor practicing in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Dr. Barb is passionate about empowering individuals to take control of their own health. Her primary focus is to explore the underlying root cause and provide individualized patient-centered care. She utilizes evidence-based therapies and provides patients with the knowledge and tools needed to succeed. Her clinical focus is in women's health, stress management, and inflammatory conditions. Dr. Barb also spends a great deal of time educating individuals on the importance of magnesium and why we all need to add this mineral to our health toolbox. You can find her on Instagram where she has shared a wealth of information on magnesium and inflammation. I am so excited to have Dr. Barb here with me. I have been following her on Instagram for quite a while. I just love her account. So I'm really excited that she took the time out of her busy schedule to be here today. So welcome, Dr. Barb. Oh, thank you so much, Carolyn. I am so excited to be here and to finally meet you virtually. And um, yeah, thanks so much for having me. Well, thank you. So tell my listeners a little bit about yourself, your background, and maybe why you chose to be a naturopathic doctor. Yeah, absolutely. So I actually don't have um, a personal health story that actually led me into the health and wellness space originally. Um, I've always had this great passion for health and I spent many of my years in the insurance industry actually. And oh, that I is didn't know I, that. Yeah, and that is where I really developed this passion for health because I kept seeing these people, I did life and disability insurance and I would see these people coming in and they would have all these issues and they were young. And I was like, Oh my goodness, like what's going on. And I just wanted to do more and help more. Um, and so I decided to go back to school and I got my kinesiology degree and uh, my health science. And then I ended up going on and doing four years of naturopathic medicine. Um, so yeah, nine years of school later, and um, here I am. So um, unfortunately, I did have my own health issue. Um, a couple of years ago, I had an aneurysm that burst um, in my left carotid artery in the brain. And oh, wow. so yeah, I really understand how difficult it is healing from a health issue. Um, and you know, that it can also have many ups and downs and, um, you know, some days are good, some days not so good. So uh, I totally understand that. And of course, that just makes my job as a naturopathic doctor and understanding other individuals journeys and travels that much more um, relevant for me. But um, I am a naturopathic doctor and my clinical focus is in hormones, stress, inflammatory diseases. And of course, I, I have a love for magnesium. So <laughs> well, I know, I know that because I love everything that you post about magnesium on your site. And in fact, that's what I want to talk to you about today. I just want to pick your brain about magnesium. Tell Tell my listeners exactly what magnesium is, maybe how our body uses it and why it's so important. Right. So 
I actually did not learn a lot about magnesium in naturopathic medicine, which is kind of odd because it's this macronutrient that is so important in our bodies and does so many things. Uh, but I got my chance to really um, research it after I left school. So when I was in practice, I had many individuals that came in with lots of different issues that allopathic medicine just had no answer for. And so I would have to dig deep. And a lot of the times this mineral came up. So magnesium is actually an essential mineral, meaning that we need it, but we can't make it in the body. So it has to come in from foods, from supplements, Epsom salt bath, oils, those kinds of things. Um, and as I mentioned, it is a macronutrient. And because um, it's in it's involved in seven to 800 reactions in the body. It has its hand in almost everything. Um, and so it's the fourth most abundant mineral in our body. And it's found mostly in high concentrations in our bones, our heart, our muscles, and then in our nerves. But essentially, if we were to just dumb it right down, every cell in our body needs magnesium to function. Wow. I didn't realize yeah. it was seven to 800 different roles because a lot of times I've been reading about magnesium and some people will say it's like over 300. So it is over 300. They just don't say it's seven to 800. Yeah, that is the, the seven to 800 is the newest research out on magnesium. So it was 300 for a long time. Um, but now that they're doing more and more in-depth research, um, because we also know that there's so many more forms of magnesium. And so more research is being done on the different forms. So they're, they're really getting into like how many actual reactions this mineral does. Yeah. Oh, that's great. So I'm going to ask you about the different forms, but in a little bit, because I have so many questions I want to ask you. I first want to know why are so many people lacking in magnesium? Why is that a problem for our generation? Yeah. So magnesium deficiencies, there are so many reasons why we become deficient in magnesium and it's pretty much what we do in a day to day. So number one, probably the biggest is our food doesn't contain the same amount of magnesium due to soil depletion. So the excessive farming practices, magnesium's just been kind of farmed out of the soil. And so we're not getting what we were getting maybe 10, 15 years ago in our foods. Then we have to look at what lifestyle factors actually deplete magnesium. So stress, although it magnesium helps stress, stress actually depletes our magnesium. So if we're having a lot of stress, we're going to be um, most likely deficient. Um, so if we have insulin resistance uh, or, you know, diabetes or type two diabetes, then we're really blowing through our uh, magnesium stores because uh, in, um, magnesium is being depleted by that insulin resistance. So um, that's another thing. And here we see magnesium also helps insulin resistance. So um, it's a teeter totter there for sure. And then of course, sugar. So every time you um, consume sugar, it takes roughly about 54 molecules of magnesium to actually process one molecule of sugar. Oh, wow. That's interesting. <laughs> Yeah. So if you are a sugar addict, you are pretty well blowing through your magnesium stores every single day. Um, and then of course, medications are a big depleter of magnesium. So things like PPIs that we use for gastroesophageal reflux disease, uh, there's some antibiotics, there's some birth control pills, statins. These are all pretty common medications that individuals are on. So we see that, you know, uh, magnesium is being depleted because they actually use the same metabolism. And so for their absorption, and unfortunately, the allopathic medications will win that that competition. So magnesium kind of gets drawn out. And then of course, we have our older population who just doesn't have a lot of um, intestinal absorption or nutrient absorption. So they're obviously depleted most times in magnesium. And then we can go into just like exercise. So when we sweat, we're losing because it is a electrolyte. So we are losing magnesium. If we're, you know, having a lot of alcohol or a lot of coffee, these are diuretics. This is how we also lose magnesium. And then there's fluoride. 
So fluoride is another big magnesium robber. So, um, and a lot of people don't realize that. So if we're doing a lot of things with fluoride, toothpastes and, you know, going to the dentist and having fluoride treatment there. And in some places there's even fluoride in the water, then that kind of um, robs us of our magnesium and doesn't allow it to go into the bones. Wow. I'm just thinking, oh my goodness, with sugar, stress, those two alone, most people probably have depleted levels of magnesium. But then as soon as you said fluoride, I'm like, how many people have fluoride in their water? I mean, so many people take medications. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, we're probably all depleted in magnesium. Yeah. Um, well, the last day at stats I thought saw was like 70 or 80% of us could be depleted in magnesium. And when I check it in practice, I often find they'll either be either right on the border or they'll be depleted. And so, yeah. Okay. So see very many people. So let's talk. Okay. So let's talk about this because I know listeners are like, oh, wait, I'm probably depleted. So one, is there a test to know if you're depleted? And two, are there symptoms that maybe my listeners could be like, oh, yeah, that applies to me. I probably am depleted in magnesium. Yeah. So symptoms could be anything from fatigue, aches, pain, stiffness, tightness, um, maybe sleep difficulties, inflammation. Um, we can see stress, right? So if we're depleted, we our magnesium isn't being able to be used to counteract that stress. Um, we can see uh, mood disorders, we can see insomnia, we can see insulin resistance, those kinds of things. But many of those symptoms actually belong to other issues. So other health issues. So a lot of the times, we're not thinking magnesium right away. Um, And then when we go and we dig a little deeper, we can see that once we start the supplement, the magnesium, these things start to improve. So um, many of these symptoms are symptoms of other issues. Now, if we wanted to test our magnesium, we have to make sure there's there's two tests. There's a serum magnesium, and then there's a RBC magnesium test. And so we want to make sure we're asking for the RBC magnesium test and not the magnesium serum test, because that's only going to test 1% of the total volume of magnesium in the body. And that's not accurate. So if we do RBC, it's, um, it tests, the magnesium inside the red blood cells and is much more accurate. And here you want to be whatever lab you use, you want to be at the high end of the range. So low end of the range, we're still seeing symptoms. So and it's just because with when we were going through um, what depletes it, these things are happening on a daily. So we want to always make sure we're at the higher end. Okay, that's good information to know. Thank you. So talking about magnesium being a part of other health issues, it's just one piece of the puzzle. And that I completely understand because when I was suffering with depression 15 years ago, there were many root causes for my depression, but one of them was I was very low in magnesium. And so I understand how that's a piece of the puzzle. So actually, let's talk about depression. Tell me, how does magnesium actually help those that are suffering from depression? Yeah, that's a great question. So what magnesium does is one of its jobs is in regulating the neurotransmitters in the brain. So these are serotonin, dopamine, and GABA. And when we see a dysregulation of some of those neurotransmitters, we can see things like depression, anxiety. Um, We can also see um, other mood disorders. But what happens is magnesium actually modulates the GABA activity in the brain. So it It provides that calming effect, but at the same time, it quiets down the increased levels of what's called glutamate. And glutamate is this excitatory neurotransmitter that's often really high in um, depression and anxiety. And most, if you look at what anti-anxiety and antidepressants do, it's, it 
quiets that response. It quiets that excitatory response. So magnesium has that capability of doing that. And I know we're going to get into the forms, but magnesium L3 innate, which is probably the newest magnesium form, um, is a great option here because it's actually allowed or can cross the blood brain barrier. So really has that capacity to just quiet down that excitatory response, which is often very high in, in depression. Okay, I'm glad you said which kind of magnesium. And maybe as I ask you all these um, health issues, because I'm sort of curious to know how magnesium helps some of these health issues. So maybe as we go along, you just say which form of sure. magnesium is best, because I know there are many forms of magnesium. And I'll, I'll just say this really quick. When I first started, I just grabbed magnesium oxide from the shelf, and I didn't realize what magnesium oxide was. And little did I know that didn't help my depression much. So no. No, unfortunately not. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you actually just tell my listeners really quick what magnesium oxide is? Right. So magnesium oxide is a pretty much a laxative uh, form of magnesium. And they use it in things like colonoscopy preps, and they use it as a cheap filler. But unfortunately, oxide is only absorbed in our body by less than 5%. So it, it's not doing anything. And I always recommend that there are blends of magnesium out there where they might have two or three different types of magnesium in the supplement. And my recommendation is always if oxide is a part of that blend, I and it doesn't tell you how much of it is, I would put it back. Because we really have no idea of whether that supplement is all oxide and a little bit of glycinate and, and citrate. Um, or if we have more glycinate, right? So we don't want to use something that isn't going to be effective. And unfortunately, some companies will put it in because it's just, it's a very inexpensive form of magnesium. Right. Yeah. And for you listeners, just FYI, a lot of the forms of magnesium, like at the grocery store, are magnesium oxide. So turn that bottle around and read the label and see what form of magnesium it is. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I love how magnesium helps the neurotransmitters. I've been talking a lot on my account about hormones, hormonal balance, things like that. Does magnesium have a role in helping or affecting hormonal balance? Yes, it does. So it, magnesium manufactures our steroid hormones. So these are estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, DHEA, those kinds of things. And it also normalizes the action of progesterone. So um, when, when we look at our central nervous system, progesterone is very calming, it's very um, soothing. And so when we're dealing with things like PMS or migraines or menopausal symptoms, we want that central nervous system to be calming. But if we don't have progesterone, then that's not going to happen. So magnesium is really important in normalizing that action of progesterone. Um, and furthermore, where I think magnesium really shines is that it's also really critical in that detoxification pathway in the liver when we have um, estrogen metabolites, so um, reused or unbroken down estrogen uh, that needs to uh, um, get out of our body. And so a lot of us have trouble getting it out. And magnesium is one of the coenzymes that are required in order to do that estrogen detoxification. So getting that estrogen out of the system um, and not having it reabsorbed because here is where we get into estrogen dominance. So mm -hmm. um, if an estrogen dominance has a few things, so we could have just enough estrogen, but very little progesterone, or we can have enough estrogen, but then we're not getting the estrogen that's been metabolized out properly. And so that can cause dominance. And then of course, that leads to all sorts of other issues. Um, but we also have to remember that magnesium helps our pituitary gland regulate it. And so when that 
happens, then we get the proper amount of FSH and LH happening. And again, this then helps with um, progesterone being released and having enough progesterone, because that's a really big thing. Most of us are low in progesterone. So this is why we get like the heavy periods and some of the cramping and the PMS and the, you know, the anxiety is because our progesterone isn't high enough um, in that second phase of the cycle. Wow. That is okay. Two fascinating things. One, the estrogen dominance. I know that's a huge problem for a lot of um, women these days. And I didn't realize that magnesium will help with that detoxing because a lot of women, well, a lot of followers of mine, when I tell them that we actually detox the estrogen, they're like, what? I never knew that we actually detox it, that we have to get it out of our body. Otherwise it contributes to the estrogen dominance, like you said. And so, yeah, that's fascinating to me that magnesium helps with that because I usually recommend like glutathione to help with the liver detox, things like that. But to know that magnesium helps is great. Also, there's so many people on progesterone, like a synthetic. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. really they should be checking their magnesium levels before they just go straight to a progesterone. Right. And a synthetic progesterone is not, or the synthetic version of progesterone is progestin, which is not progesterone and does not do what progesterone does, right? So um, oftentimes it further depletes our own progesterone when we're using the synthetic versions. Yeah. And why don't you think teach or doctors teach that? Because a lot of doctors just put them on the Yeah, because it's, I think it's an easy way of resolving symptoms. And if, I mean, even if you look at, you know, the IUD now, the Marina, the hormonal one, that's all progestin um, and it solves a lot of problems, right? So if you have heavy bleeding or you have menopausal symptoms an IUD is kind of the answer now, if you go to um, your doctor or your gynecologist, that's one of the first things that they recommend because it's an easy fix, but it's not looking at the whole picture. And it's also not working like your normal progesterone would. And actually, it's been shown that with the Marina IUD, it actually shuts down the progesterone receptors in the brain. And so we see a lot of patients who use these IUDs who have anxiety, who have, you know, mood changes, and that is likely the cause is because those progesterone receptors are not actually in the brain are actually not working. They've kind of shut down because of the progestin itself. Oh, that's interesting. Well, Mm -hmm. so basically, it's like a band aid, but it's not helping the root cause. So being low in magnesium could be one of the many root causes for that hormonal issue. Okay, right. Thank you so much. So tell me really quickly, does magnesium help menopause then? Actually, I have another question too. Does it help menopause? And two, does it help cramps? Because I have a daughter who has so many friends dealing with cramps. So I've been trying to help them. So menopause and cramps answer both of those. Yes. So menopause, um, we'll start there. Um, Menopause, a lot of the times, what we have to think about is what's going on in menopause. So a lot of the times we've got hot flashes, we've got um, mood changes. So we look at what the symptoms are. And when we look at what magnesium does, magnesium improves mood. So it's going to help. Magnesium improves bone health um, because it you know, it activates vitamin D, it allows calcium to be broken down and used in the bones and not sent to the arteries. So this is very important for menopausal women, because oftentimes what we find is if we have too much calcium that's unopposed, then some of that calcium can end up in our arteries and that's not where we want them to be. And so magnesium makes sure that it breaks down that calcium. And then of course, magnesium activates vitamin D and then vitamin D sends the calcium to the bones and not to the arteries. Um, And then of course the hot flashes, a lot of hot flashes when we look at what's happening is there's increased cortisol. And so magnesium is really great at re um, regulating cortisol. And so this is really important because if cortisol is elevated, we're going to see more hot flashes. If we can bring cortisol down, we can reduce the number of hot flashes and even the intensity of it. So it becomes really important in that aspect. And then of course, there's the mood aspect with menopause. And we know that magnesium, as we had discussed, does have uh, an impact on our neurotransmitters. Okay, perfect. 
That's great. So yeah. now, now to the cramps. Yes. So um, I remember reading a study not too long ago that was like, if anything is tight, stuck, crampy or irritable, you need magnesium. So what magnesium does is magnesium just relaxes everything. So anything cramps are often um, the result of tight, um, like spasms, right? So like they're, they're internal spasms that are happening, whether that's through the intestinal tract, whether that's from having, um, getting to your menstrual cycle, um, all of these things are spasms. And so what magnesium does is it allows those spasms to release so that they're not so tense and tight. So yes, magnesium works really well. If you want something that's even more beneficial is I like to use magnesium oil on the abdomen just because it actually like soaks in and like gets right to the root. So it doesn't have to go through your stomach acid and all of the other things. Yeah. Oh, that's good to know. That's a good tip. Okay. So with hormonal um, imbalances, menopause, things like that, what type of magnesium do you suggest? Here we want to be looking at a bisglycinate. So bisglycinate is probably the most popular form of magnesium, but it's also the most absorbable form of magnesium and it's well tolerated. So um, bisglycinate is a form of magnesium that actually doesn't need to go through stomach acid to be absorbed. Mm. So if you have somebody who has, you know, stomach issues or absorption issues, you definitely want to look at bisglycinate, or I believe it's also called glycinate in, in health food stores. Sometimes they use both names, but they're the exact same, um, form of magnesium. Yeah. I recently saw on your account that you were talking about how magnesium helps PCOS. So since we're talking hormones and everything, how does magnesium help those with PCOS? Right. So when we're looking at PCOS, we have to look at kind of what their symptoms are most often. So we see, um, oftentimes we'll see insulin resistance. Um, and this is a big thing with PCOS. So, um, magnesium is amazing for insulin resistance because it allows, it plays a role in blood regulation and insulin signaling. And what it does is it makes the insulin receptor more sensitive. So when we, what we look at in insulin resistance is we see that the receptor becomes lazy. And so it doesn't want to take up all the glucose or it's just not even responding. And so what magnesium does is it improves that receptor sensitivity so that it can do its job properly. And insulin resistance is most of the times um, one of the big things with PCOS. But we also see stress and anxiety with PCOS and we see a lot of inflammation. And so magnesium is really great at dealing with stress through the GABA and through the neurotransmitters, but it also does really a great job at reducing oxidative stress. So the oxidative stress is what actually causes the inflammation. So it's the tissue damage that's happening from um, insulin resistance would cause inflammation. Or, you know, if they have excess weight gain, that's, you know, the fat cell is spitting out inflammatory cytokines um, and that is damaging the tissue. And so magnesium is very good at coming along and helping to reduce that oxidative stress and then quieting that inflammation. So is insulin resistance a main root cause of PCOS then? It can be. Um, So there's I believe four different types of PCOS. So we have inflammatory PCOS. So there's the inflammation component, and then we have the insulin resistance PCOS. Uh, We also have post birth control pill PCOS. So um, women who are coming off birth control pills um, are not getting a period and are not able to um, become pregnant or things like that for many years after the pill has stopped. So there's that. And then we also sometimes see a lean type PCOS where it's more in um, athletic women and stuff like that. So women could have a combination of those, right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So if someone is dealing with PCOS, they should get their magnesium levels checked then, right? Because being depleted in it could be playing a part. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Because, and two, um, Sometimes we have to also look at like oxalic foods, 
right? They deplete magnesium. So if someone's got a diet that's high in oxalic foods, um, which, you know, could be what's playing the role of having not enough magnesium. So we have to look at what's actually going on with the individual with PCOS. Did they just come off the birth control pill? Because then for sure, we know that they are most likely depleted because the birth control depletes magnesium. Do they have high stress levels? Have they been through a really traumatic or stressful period of time? We know that magnesium has been depleted. So these are all usually things that are playing up to the PCOS diagnosis. And so, yeah, testing magnesium is really important. Okay. Can you give me a couple examples for my listeners about uh, the types of foods you were talking about that deplete the magnesium? Yeah, so things like spinach, um, things like sweet potatoes, like anything that's high in oxalates, um, chocolate, right? So, um, and this is not for everybody, but there are many individuals who um, have high oxalates and they just can't eat those types of foods. And so when they eat those foods, it's actually taking away from their magnesium. Um, but you would know if you had that because you would have symptoms. Um, a lot of the times we would see symptoms such as, you know, um, we would have interstitial cystitis. A lot of that stuff is from oxalate foods, we have symptoms most often that can tell us that, okay, um, these foods are actually aggravating coffee would be another one. Um, so yeah, so they're aggravating your digestive system, like bloating or gas or things like that. They can. Yes. And then they can also cause like an irritation kind of within the body. Yeah. Well, I think you named my three food groups because I, know. <laughs> I think I have spinach every day, a sweet potato, probably <laughs> close to every day and dark chocolate probably every night. So, but yeah. I'm okay if it's not causing me digestive issues then, huh? No, I think you would know. Um, most, most individuals would have some form of symptoms. And I mean, and there's a scale, you can actually go online and look at like low oxalate, medium oxalates, and then high oxalates. So they're going to fall somewhere in those three. And most times we actually ask patients to stay off the high oxalates and then kind of, you know, stay in the low to medium range. While they try to increase their magnesium. Yeah. Okay. So talking about digestive health and bloating and gas, does magnesium actually affect our gut or affect our gut health or help it? Uh, yeah, it does actually. <laughs> Imagine um, that. Yeah. So we know that 70% or more of our immune system is in our gut, right? So um, we need to make sure our gut is in good order. We need to make sure that our gut has a nice balanced terrain of bacteria bacteria, um, because that is what's making our hormones, it's what's creating our health. So uh, a a distressed uh, digestive system is not going to allow you to absorb your nutrients. So a you're not going to absorb the magnesium that you're taking, um, or from the foods that you're eating. So we need magnesium to digest our food. So if we look at the mechanics of digestion, we need to make stomach acid. Magnesium is involved in that. We need to repair our digestive and protect the digestive organs. So things like your esophagus, your um, intestines, your pancreas, your colon. And again, uh, magnesium is involved in all DNA repair. And so that is you know, one of the biggest jobs that it has is to repair our DNA. And we know that, you know, we damage DNA doing certain things in in lifestyle factors, alcohol, all kinds of stuff. Um, And so this is where magnesium really shines. And so it does that. And then of course, it helps to make our digestive enzymes so that we can digest our carbs, proteins, and our fats. But we also know that um, magnesium can help. Like one of the things I see in gut health is constipation. So we know that magnesium is really important when it comes to constipation and we need to have bowel movements because this is how we excrete waste. It's how we excrete metabolized hormones. So if we go back to the estrogen dominance picture, okay, so if we need magnesium to get 
the estrogen metabolites to move out of the system, then we also need to make sure that we can actually eliminate what it's moved out. And if we're constipated, that's not going to happen. And thus we're gonna see a recirculation. And so here, one of the big things for uh, gut health and digestive health is allowing people to eliminate those hormones and uh, waste through improving bowel regularity. So that is really interesting. So if someone is dealing with gut issues, and so many people are, I think more people than they realize are actually dealing with them. But if they are, what magnesium would you suggest? So if it's a digestive issue, so like things, like I said, like making enzymes and, you know, repairing the esophagus and stuff like that, I would look at a bisglycinate. Because again, if we've got issues in that area, we've probably got absorption issues. So we don't want to go with something we can't absorb. So we know that bisglycinate does not need stomach acid to break down. So we can um, use bisglycinate and ensure that it's getting where it needs to get to. Now, if the issue is further down and you it's constipation, here we need to use citrate. And citrate is, it used to be like the all around form of magnesium until bisglycinate came on the scene, but citrate does help calm the nervous system. But what it does is it brings water into the colon and allows the colon to start moving things along. And so oftentimes what I'll recommend is um, taking it at night before bed and allowing it to work through the night in order to make sure that we are having bowel movements every day. So the bioglycinate is the same that you were suggesting for hormonal issues as yes. well. Yeah. Oh, talking yeah. about hormonal issues, I forgot to ask you about endometriosis. Does yeah. magnesium help with that as well or no? Yes. So endometriosis, again, if we look at what the um, cause of it is, is usually some form of estrogen dominance, as well as an immune system issue. Hmm. So um most times we used to just think of it as, oh, there's an excess amount of estrogen happening in the system. But now we know it's actually more of an immune and an inflammatory condition. So again, inflammation, magnesium is great at reducing that. Also making sure we get any excess estrogen out of the system is also really important. And then of course, it um, improves the function of the hormone. So it makes sure that it's supporting the HPA axis and allowing progesterone to be made so that we can get some of that in there to help with the pain. Um, there's a lot of pain involved with endometriosis and a lot of um, inflammatory issues there. So it, it plays a role in the immune response as well. Magnesium is very good um, at supporting our immune system and making sure that it's running and doing what it's supposed to be doing. So yeah, it's not been considered an autoimmune issue at this point. I don't think it is, um, but it definitely has an immune dysfunction um, involved. And so uh, magnesium is great for just helping immune system control. As you're saying all of this, I'm like, magnesium is like this miracle mineral that we all need. My goodness, it does so much. But yeah. do you think people can, can you overdose on magnesium? Like, is there a limit people should take on a daily basis? Yeah, it's hard to tell because again, it's going to be dependent upon a, your lifestyle factors, your health condition, what medications you're taking, how much of the magnesium foods you're eating, what kind of lifestyle you're living. But the recommended dietary allowance amount uh, is 310 to 400 milligrams per day. That is the minimum that you need to be kind of getting on a daily basis from any one of those sources. But can you overdose? Sure. You're probably going to have a lot of loose stool. <laughs> um, that's probably the biggest overdose. Um, some people do get some GI upset, um, like just indigestion, kind of digestive uh, 
complaints if they get up too high when they're taking magnesium. And the other thing we want, if someone has kidney disease or some type of kidney issue, you do want to be careful how much magnesium you take. And you definitely want to be working with a healthcare professional because that is how we excrete our magnesium. So uh, we want to be careful with um, anything to do with the kidney. But other than that, it's a fairly safe mineral. Like there's not a lot of interactions, even when we're giving it when people are on medications. Most times I recommend three to four hours away from medications because we don't want that competition happening, but um, fairly safe. Thank you for answering that because I know some of my listeners will be like, well, how much do I take or what amount is too much? Um, But talking about getting magnesium, then you talked about getting it through our food. What are some uh, foods that are rich in magnesium? Yeah. So um, just because, you know, our soils are not as great anymore, that doesn't mean we shouldn't still be consuming um, the best foods that do have magnesium. So lots of leafy greens, right? Your spinach, your kale, collard greens, um, they provide a lot of magnesium. Pumpkin seeds are probably the highest amount of magnesium that you can get from any food. So, um, but flax and chia also have some magnesium in it. Avocados are good. Legumes are good. Dark chocolate and nuts are um, up there as well. And then if you're vegetarian, tofu is a good source as well. So my magnesium and dark chocolate is good. It is if you don't have oxalates. (laughs) Exactly. Okay. Just to clarify that for everybody listening, I will continue with my spinach shakes and my dark chocolate at night. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So talking about food, let's actually talk about weight loss. Because one time I saw you talk about this on your Instagram page about magnesium helping with weight loss. Right. And weight loss is a huge issue right now um, in the world. And it's obviously something I actually deal a lot with weight loss in my in my practice. And so what we see with magnesium is we see magnesium can actually help to prevent obesity genes from expressing themselves. So we actually have 24 different genes that are um, downregulated, I guess you would say, and they're related to our metabolic and our inflammatory pathways. And we know that those pathways are really critical to weight. So if we have inflammatory pathways that are high and metabolic pathways, so things like insulin, that are increased, we're going to most likely gain weight because that's the body doesn't have the proper functioning of those pathways to um, not allow weight to compile. So that gets us into our second point. Insulin resistance is one of the underlying root causes of weight gain. And thus, we know that magnesium makes the insulin receptors that much more receptive and allows for insulin to be properly um, doing its job signaling and getting that glucose out of the blood. And so that is also a form of inflammation. So if we have um, insulin resistance, we'll likely have some inflammation and inflammation is another underlying root cause of weight. Um, gain. So if we've got a lot of inflammation in the system, our body's not going to want to release weight. And we know that magnesium plays a role in inflammation as well. And then it also helps to digest our like macronutrients are like things like B vitamins, um, and energy and all of those things and helps us to absorb and utilize our proteins and carbohydrates that is all magnesium's normal job. And of course, then it helps to relieve stress, right? So there's a lot of stress when people are overweight, especially if they want to lose weight. Um, There's like an obsession sometimes and and like an anxiety and stress over the weight. And so it just helps um, reduce that. And, you know, stress will have higher levels of cortisol. Cortisol is going to throw out blood sugar and that's going to create inflammation. And it's just like this vicious cycle that goes around and around. Right. There's so much involved in weight loss, but yet our diet culture just screams that it's calories in, calories out, and that's it. So just count those calories and make sure you're under a certain limit, you know? I always say, you know what, don't count calories, count insulin, because that's really where the issue is, right? Like if our metabolic pathways, like our insulin is not functioning properly, we're going to end up 
probably down the road as a type two diabetic, but in the process, you're going to end up gaining weight because insulin is our fat storage hormone. That's its job. And what really irritates me is that here in Canada, I don't know what they do in the States, but we look at blood glucose only. So when someone goes in, we look at fasting blood glucose and we don't look at fasting insulin at all until fasting blood glucose is over the range. So Mm -hmm. at six or 6.2, when you're pre-diabetic, now they'll look at fasting insulin. And there's tons of research to suggest that fasting insulin most likely will have been out 10 years before glucose is up. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. So we could do a lot of work on that end. Right. Okay. So I know my Mm -hmm. listeners are thinking, wait, how do I know if I have insulin resistance though? Like, is this something I go get tested for? Are there symptoms for it? What do you suggest? Yes. So insulin resistance can be tested. You can do either in a two hour oral glucose insulin challenge or test at the lab, which is very similar to if you're pregnant, you usually have to do it while you're pregnant, but um, they just give you that syrupy drink and then they're going to measure how you respond. And from there, you'll be able to find out and they're going to measure your fasting insulin, or you can also just measure your fasting insulin, which is a blood test. Um, But signs of insulin resistance is often belly weight, um, skin tags, darker um, under the arm, the skin is a little bit darker. Um, Obviously, if you have any form of prediabetes or anything like that, um, we see it there. And then of course, it also plays a role with the inflammation. Okay, so you were talking about inflammation playing a part with this weight gain, weight loss. And insulin resistance contributes to inflammation, but there's so many other things that contribute to inflammation. And a lot of people are dealing with inflammation, whether they know it or not. And inflammation is a root cause for so many health illnesses out there. So how does the magnesium help the actual inflammation? Well, when we look at what causes inflammation, um, a lot of it is lifestyle factors, right? So stress causes increased cortisol, which is going to cause increased inflammation. Um, If we look at exercise, we were saying, you know, it's all let's exercise more and eat less to lose weight. Well, that's the worst thing you could do, right? Over exercising and not allowing enough recovery time creates oxidative stress, which is going to create increased cortisol, which is going to increase inflammation. So when we look at magnesium and how it helps is that it actually calms that inflammation down, it reduces cortisol. So it stops the processes from actually exacerbating into um, full blown inflammation, and we can test inflammation as well. So it's you can do your magnesium and you can do your lifestyle factor things. And then you can see um, how much of a difference that makes by testing those inflammatory markers. That is so good to know. And I'm just sitting here thinking, oh, the diet culture screams it the wrong way. Because like you said, too much exercise without enough nutrients or food causes that inflammation. But yet here they teach workout, workout, you know, eat less, eat less. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. So maybe those that are trying to lose weight should get their magnesium checked just to see what their levels are at. Yeah, I would always, I mean, when I work with someone with um, weight issues, I'm always looking at magnesium levels, inflammation levels, and insulin resistance levels, because these are the true root causes um, often of weight gain. So if someone is struggling with that, would you um, suggest the magnesium biglycinate again or something else? Yes, because again, if they are struggling with inflammation and insulin resistance, we're going to know they're going to have absorption issues. So we want to give them something that they can absorb and they can tolerate. So bisglycinate would definitely be my choice. Okay. All right. I'm going to move on to a different topic and that is sleep issues or insomnia, things like that. I know it's a huge problem. And I know years ago, I was having a really hard time with sleep. And my doctor was like, you know what, I think you might be a little low on magnesium. Let's try this magnesium. And it worked wonders. So why does magnesium help people sleep? So the main component in sleep is GABA. So 
as we were talking earlier when we were talking about the anxiety and depression, GABA is a very um, calming neurotransmitter. And so its job is to literally reduce the activity of the neurons in our brain and our central nervous system. And this is what causes insomnia. So if we have excessive um, activity of those neurons, this could be, you know, thoughts running through your head. It could just be like, you know, stress. You could be thinking about what's going on tomorrow. All of these things are this increased activity of neurons that are happening in the brain and in our central nervous system. So what magnesium does is comes in and kind of hops onto the GABA receptor and increases that relaxation response, reduces that stress, calms the mood and allows the body to kind of just shut down um, so that we can sleep. And then also magnesium regulates our hormone melatonin. So melatonin is our sleep hormone um, and it helps to kind of guide us in the sleep and wake cycle. So a lot of the times melatonin, if we're not going to bed around the same time or we have like really late nights and we're going to bed after midnight, melatonin is not working as efficiently as it should. And so this is another reason why individuals have um, insomnia or difficulty sleeping or they can fall asleep and then they wake up like two hours later and they just can't get back to sleep. And so um, magnesium comes in there and helps regulate that melatonin in order to make sure there's sufficient amount there so that you can actually have a sleep and, and stay asleep. Yeah. So there's a lot of people on sleeping pills. So again, yes. sleeping pills are just a Band-Aid, whereas yes. they may just be really low in magnesium and just need magnesium. Right. And most times I find with the sleeping pills, so what the sleeping pills are doing is pretty much the same thing. It's kind of shutting down the excitatory um, areas of the brain and kind of enhancing the GABA receptor, but it's doing it in a synthetic manner. Um, so their sleep is usually great, but they often don't feel refreshed because it's a synthetic mm. way of suppressing that GABA receptor. So I find when I transfer them onto, and sometimes it does take a higher dose of magnesium, especially if they've been on a sleeping pill for a long time. Um, I find I have to start a little higher, but the sleep they have on magnesium versus the sleeping pill is very different. They will, it, it, they'll be like, wow, this was really great. Like it's, it's a much more refreshing sleep than on the sleeping pill. But I do urge you to work with a healthcare provider anytime you're doing anything with medication, because sometimes there are interactions, sometimes it can actually increase one of the other medications. So it's always good to kind of make sure that, you know, it's safe and effective for, for your issue and for yourself. Right. I'm glad you said that. Um, but that's yeah. so interesting about the quality of sleep, because I do hear that quite often from people on sleeping pills, like I sleep, you know, a good eight hours and just do not feel refreshed in the morning. So yeah. uh, thank you for explaining that. That makes sense now. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so one other health issue that so many people deal with is stress. And we've sort of touched upon this a little bit, but how does magnesium help those that are stressing? Because when I ask doctors like, what should people do for stress? They always say like they need to meditate. They need to breathe deeply. They need to just not do as much. And I get that. And I understand that. But then I always have listeners that say, yeah, but I'm a mom with two toddlers and a newborn, or I'm a working single mom and I work all day. Then I've got to run home and take care of kids or, you know, these we're all busy. We're all doing so many things. So can magnesium help all of us that are stressed? Yeah, so we really have to look at what stress is. So when we when we break down stress, it's essentially elevated cortisol, right? So our and norepinephrine initially, and then cortisol if the stressor hangs around. So if we're stressed and we are stressed on a continuous basis, we see cortisol um, increasing. Now, cortisol is a really it gets a bad rap a lot of the times, but it's an actually a very great hormone because it regulates our blood pressure. It regulates our heart rate. It regulates like 
insulin. It does so many good things, but as soon as it goes out of whack, it does the opposite of everything it's supposed to do. So it's going to increase anxiety and it's going to increase stress. And, you know, that anxiousness that comes when we're stressed, like we never can really have a quiet um, moment. And so um, what magnesium does is it helps to regulate cortisol. So it helps. So if cortisol is high, magnesium can help to bring down that cortisol. Because remember, if cortisol stays too high, we've also got inflammation now coming in. So this is then going to increase your stress level even more. So it's all this compounded effect. And so what it does is magnesium ensures that that HPA axis, which which is our central stress response system functions well by keeping cortisol down and keeping your other hormones in line as well. And in addition to those very important neurotransmitters, which are often the reason why stress can then lead to mood issues, anxiety issues, and all sorts of other things. So good to know. I know at times my cortisol is really high when I'm stressed. I know that. But I know back in the days when I was dealing with depression, my cortisol was too high when it was supposed to be low and not low enough yeah. when it was supposed to be high. And it was all messed up. So that's actually yeah. good to know about magnesium. So those dealing with stress, is there a certain type of magnesium you suggest for that? Yeah. So the best magnesium for people with stress is bisglycinate because if you look at what glycinate is, glycinate is a amino acid that is calming. So it's a very calming molecule. And so bisglycinate will be one of the best forms that you can use. It used to be citrate and citrate will work if you don't want to swallow a whole pile of different magnesium forms. Um, you can use citrate if let's say you do have constipation issues, you can definitely use citrate for both. And I find it still works really well. The only issue I have is if you have absorption issues, so nutrient um, absorption issues, sometimes we don't get the full benefit. So then we try to move over to the bisglycinate. So you've been suggesting the bisglycinate for almost all of the health issues, right? Is that yeah. your favorite? Yeah. Bisglycinate is a really nice all around. It's great for absorption. It's great for tolerability. Um, the citrate I'll use mainly for um, constipation and I'll also use it in GERD or gastroesophageal reflux. Um, it's really good for that. And then the L3 and 8, any cognitive stuff. So memory. Oh, that's right. Uh, um, you know, mood issues, concussions, those kinds of things. L3 and 8 is really good there. Yeah. Okay, good to know. And I just realized that I've been calling it by glycinate for all, all these years. <laughs> so learn something new today. I feel like every podcast I learned one little tidbit. So today that was Yay. the tidbit I learned. Um, okay. Also, Sleep. We didn't, I didn't ask you which one for sleep. And I know a lot of people are probably wondering. Yeah. So sleep, we can actually do citrate or bisglycinate one or the other. Um, and I like to do citrate, especially if they do have that digestive issue. In addition to not being able to sleep, I usually dose it right at bedtime. We don't need food with it and it works really well. Yeah. Okay. I have just loved asking you all these questions about magnesium today. It is just such a miracle mineral. So thank you for sharing your knowledge with all of us. Is there any other advice you would give people who may be deficient in magnesium? I think, well, I just give two pieces of advice. If you think you're deficient in magnesium, you can always try a magnesium supplement. I mean, consult, like I said, with your healthcare provider, if you are taking medications or you have a medical condition, um, because we want to make sure it is safe and effective for you. But you will notice if there's a difference on a magnesium supplement quite quickly, usually within a week. Oh. So if you feel like you're deficient, um, you can always you know, start on one or, you know, work with a healthcare provider to start on one or number two is go and get tested and see where your baseline is and then work from there. So within a week's time after a week or so, if they don't feel any different, then maybe they need to up it or a different form or something like that. Right. Right. Yeah. Because sometimes, I mean, the, 
The dosage on magnesium is so dependent upon the individual. I have individuals that I dose at 600, but then I have individuals that are dosed at over a thousand. And it's just because of their issues and their um, health conditions and maybe what medications they are already on that we need to dose a little higher. Um, so it's always, you know, kind of good to work with someone who can kind of gauge what you need, um, especially if it's, you know, not working on just taking a regular supplement that whatever the bottle tells you to take. Right. It's so good to just find out your levels and start from there. So go see your doctor and figure out where your levels are at. Thank yes. you so much for being here. I so appreciate it. And I know my listeners are just going to love hearing all of this advice from you. Um, I always end my podcast with asking my guests what they have found to be the best ingredient in life. What do you think it is? For me, I think it's kindness. Um, kindness, you know, not only does it make the world a happier place, but it also makes us healthier. And I feel that kindness can change, you know, the life of one person, but also the whole world. And I just feel like it's strong enough to drastically impact lives and it's contagious. So it's good. <laughs> I so agree. It is contagious and it is so good for our health. There's science yes. studies out there showing how kindness can actually improve your health. And so Absolutely. I yeah. so agree with you. Um, there's some saying out there, like, what is the key to success? Kindness. What's the key to happiness? Kindness. Like what's the key to like all these different traits they list and the answer is always kindness. So yes. um, I love it. So tell my listeners where they can find you. So I can be found probably most likely, um, my biggest platform is Instagram. So I'm at Dr. Barb Woger. And I also have a website, which is just my name, barbwoger.com. But um, I hang out on Instagram. So that's usually where you can find me and message me and yeah, connect. Yes, you guys go follow her on Instagram. I love that you keep it simple on Instagram because sometimes doctors get so medical and use the, these huge vocabulary terms that I'm like, okay, I've studied health for years and years and I'm still struggling with this post, but you keep it so simple that anyone at any level of their health journey can understand it and you give basic practical tips. And so I just really appreciate your page. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to be on here today. Well, again, thank you so much for being here and take care. And take care. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to subscribe to the Just Ingredients podcast to learn more about your health and good ingredients to life. Plus get daily tips at just.ingredients on Instagram.